I'm, I'm easily distracted, y'all. I'm just telling you. That's just how, that's how my life works. And I would. I would sit here and play with that if, uh, if allowed. Um, if you didn't get, I mentioned a letter, this Ready to Grow letter. If you did not get one of these, um, they are right on that black table as soon as you go out the main door. Just grab one on your way out. You can, we got some extras. Um, and so, again, if you didn't get one of these, it's because somehow, some way, um, either A, the slight, slim possibility that it got lost in the post office and you'll get it in a month or two, or we don't have your accurate address um, on our list. And so if you did not get one of these, please, please, please. Please take a moment, fill out that connect card, and say, hey, I didn't get one of those letters. Here's my uh, mailing address so we can make sure it's right in our system. Uh, I may have mentioned this in the past, but when I started working here, there were four different databases that people's materials were in, and I thought that was really silly. So we combined them into one, but we're still working through that, trying to make sure everyone's info is updated. All right, so if you didn't get one of these, grab it. It's on the black table on your way out. Um, so glad to have David back with us this week. He was, uh, he was hanging out with our friend COVID um, last Last week, and uh, you don't have a, like a cousin named COVID or something. Anyway, um, he was hanging out with that last week. Um, pretty convinced he got in a church camp because you know, hey, why wouldn't you? Um, and that's just just how life goes. But so glad that he's feeling well and and back. And if you didn't know, uh, he and his wife and, and son are moving to Brazil. And so um, they've purchased a house here, and I think all the stuff is here except for his razor. Um, he told me today. Uh, he didn't realize that until today. And so um, anyway, uh, welcome them obviously into the direct community as well. Um, super excited. Um, let's pray before we dive into God's word this morning. Father God, oh, it is so refreshing, so exciting to see you moving amongst your people. Um, that's our, our role as leaders is to equip and empower, build up, edify, and send out people to serve and to love others. Father, may your word today be a challenge to those that need that challenge. May it be an encouragement to those that need that encouragement. Father, may it just be an eye-opener if we fall asleep. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll be in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 today, so you can go ahead and stick your finger there as we begin. We'll get to it here in just a second, but I've got to set the stage, but I cannot do it alone. Uh, there's a reason I'm not in the praise and worship side of the world at all, and, and you'll understand that. But if you know this, you can help me out. It's a little song I might have learned a few years ago about a man named Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Yeah, the only part we actually sing is the last line, right? That's exactly how it worked when I was a kid too. Now, some of you are looking around the room right now like, what kind of crazy cult is this? No, 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 no. That is a classic childhood song that many, many, many of us learn. Um, as a matter of fact, there'll actually be another one mentioned by name in, in the message today from God's Word. Um, it pretty much completely retells the story of this very short scene captured in Luke chapter 19, right? So we, we get the drift. Here we go. Back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we were there a long, long time ago as we studied. It said that Jesus resolutely, absolutely, he turned his face toward Jerusalem and nothing would stop him from that. That moment on. That was in Luke 9. We are now in Luke 19. 
and he's at Jericho, very, very close, about 15 miles away from the city of Jerusalem. He has absolutely gained a large following as he goes from place to place. And the two stories today take place just before Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday within the church. Um, it takes place just prior to a few more teachings that we'll talk about over the next couple weeks, right before Jesus completely withdraws to only be with his apostles prior to his execution. In other words, the teaching is getting very serious. Now, he's never disguised what he's saying. He's always been very bold and upfront with what he's doing. But right now, what he's saying isn't earning him many more friends. Funny story, though, more and more people seem to be gathering around him and drawn to him by his words, even though they are more challenging. And that's because the truth draws people in. When you begin to water down the truth, people go away because there's no purpose in that. That's what the world is full of. But when you share the absolute truth with people, people will ultimately come to that because it's different and it's something they can believe in and it's something they can trust. So today's teachings um, begin with Jesus entering into this town called Jericho. There was likely a crowd around him. Some of this crowd had been following Jesus for quite a while. Some of those were people that heard he was coming to town, and they're on the lookout, and they watch, and they see this crowd, they know it's him. Some people are just getting out of their houses going, what's going on? They miss the news. They have no idea what's happening. They just want to come out and see what this commotion is all about. But what you must know is this moment is way more than just a little kid's song. <laughs> And this moment is a specific invitation to follow Jesus, to come to Christ. So let's read it. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 is where we'll begin today. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed into a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once, at once, Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Imagine that people talking behind someone's back. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Boy, I wish whoever wrote that song could have somehow snuck that in there. I know it might not have rhymed, <laughs> but it's so important because that's the point of the whole story, and we miss it in the kids' song. Doggone it. Why didn't they put... I'll have to figure out who... Anyway, um, Zacchaeus. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, he was a tax collector, but he wasn't just any tax collector. No, no, it says he was a chief tax collector. Do you know what that means? Neither does anyone else, but here's what we can assume. Here's what we can assume. He was probably in charge of some of the other tax collectors in the region. That should tell you a little, no pun intended, about the man Zacchaeus. He was hated by everyone. He was a traitor to his own people. He was a sellout to the Roman. He took advantage of his own people. And Zacchaeus was rich. Well, the only way you could get rich in that profession was if you were really good at stealing from your own people. He gave to Rome what was Rome's, and he pocketed the rest. 
But Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, meaning he was so good at his job that the Romans put him in charge of other tax collectors. What a great guy, right? I mean, just seems like a wonderful human being. But there was something about Jesus that intrigued the man Zacchaeus. Do you know what the word Zacchaeus means? The name Zacchaeus means in Hebrew. Neither did I. So I looked it up. I was curious. The name Zacchaeus means pure or innocent. (laughs) That's an ironic name, huh? His current life was anything but pure or innocent. But in the end, maybe it winds up being a bit prophetic. Jesus intrigues this man, but he can't get access to him. He's too short to see over the crowd of people. Now, I suppose he could have tapped on some shoulders and asked through, but seriously, who would have let him through? He was Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, and everyone hated him. So he took matters into his own hands. He runs ahead of the crowd. He finds a tree. He climbs up to the tree just so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, if you were with us last week, I want you to consider what this likely symbolizes I wonder if he knew. Probably not. Last week, we shared with you a scene where Jesus and children are coming together. And he says about the children, you must come to me like one of these in order to enter the kingdom of God. You must have their kind of faith. Here we have a grown, powerful, albeit disliked man who'd had to be dressed pretty well, hiking his robe up, acting like a little boy, climbing up into a tree just to catch a glimpse of of Jesus. He had that childlike wonder about Jesus that we talked about last week. I can only imagine the way the people around him would have made fun of him in that moment. One commentator said it this way, I wish there were more of us who did not mind being laughed at if only what we did helped us see Jesus better. (laughs) In that moment, Zacchaeus didn't seem to mind. There was something that was more important And Jesus, who was in the middle of this crowd of people passing by, it says in Luke that Jesus stopped and he looked up and he told Zacchaeus to come down right away because he was going to his house. Now, as a kid learning that song, I always wondered, Jesus in this big group of people, how would he notice the guy in a tree? Surely there were other trees. Surely there were other people that had climbed up in the tree. What made this different? Well, How many people probably of Zacchaeus' age, his stature, his position within the community would have been caught climbing a tree to watch a grown man walk by? So he probably did stand out just a little bit. What on earth was Zacchaeus seeking? What was he trying to find? It doesn't tell us in the scriptures. But as I was writing, no joke, literally as I was writing this, a thought came to my mind, a passage, a very specific passage The words of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, remember the name Matthew, I'll say it again, Matthew. Jesus wrote these words, and I wondered if this was Zacchaeus. Matthew 11, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Think of the lifestyle that Zacchaeus lived. Think of the guilt that had to be tormenting his soul. Oh, surely he had it all from a worldly standpoint, but he would have been all alone. Hated by his own people, knowing the wrong he was daily doing, the pain that he had caused. He knew his lifestyle put him at odds with his God being a Jew. And then Jesus comes along. 
And he's heard these stories about this Jesus guy who was a friend of sinners. In fact, the man that wrote those words that I just quoted, Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. Wait a minute. Do you think Zacchaeus knew that? We don't know specifically what town Matthew was from for sure. What town was, did he oversee Matthew? Who knows? We, we don't know. But do you think Zacchaeus may have? This man, Jesus, was different. He just had to see him. Maybe overhear some of his teachings. Maybe get the privilege of experience or seeing a miracle that was performed. We do not know Zacchaeus' exact intentions. But I can pretty much guarantee you he did not expect what happened next. Jesus and his entourage are walking down the street They approached the tree that Zacchaeus is in, and he stopped right in front of it. Now you picture this grown man. Was he like leaning out to see more, or was he now hiding behind, trying to slip away from the crowd so no one saw him? Again, imagine the grown man dressed as he was, now trying to hide within a tree as Jesus, and then a big group of people all pause in front of them. And then you see Jesus talking, whatever, and then pause, quiet, looks up. Now, if you're standing there following Jesus, watching Jesus, listening to Jesus, and he stops everything and looks up to the sky, what are you going to do? Look up. Now you're Zacchaeus. You're in a tree. Jesus is looking up, and the whole crowd starts looking at you in the tree. Imagine how he felt. The locals might have recognized Zacchaeus. What do you suppose their glance at him looked like? What a great guy he is? Probably not. He's in a tree. We could go get him very easily right now. We could take him out of that tree ourselves. They're angry, maybe even hate, disgust at this traitor. Zacchaeus would have seen all those glares looking at him. But when he looked at the face of Jesus, he saw something different. (laughs) You see, Jesus had to look at him the same way that he looked at the rich young ruler last week. He looked into that tree and he loved him just like he looks at us today. He loved Zacchaeus in that moment. And then he commands him, Zacchaeus, come down right now. This was not just a request. It was an absolute command. Further, Jesus then invested and invited himself over to dinner. Now, um, I don't know if you ever thought about the, the song, but the reality is Jesus is walking down. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, snuck away, climbed a tree just to see Jesus. Jesus said, oh, hey, there you are. I'm coming to your house now. Do you think Zacchaeus had something prepared at home waiting on Jesus? Do you think he had everything all tidied up and ready to go? Probably not. But did you notice his response? He immediately gladly welcomes Jesus in. What kind of no good cheating traitor, biggest kind of sinner in the entire world, at least in the eyes of those watching, would gladly welcome Jesus into his home? Shouldn't he be afraid? (laughs) Shouldn't he be just a little bit embarrassed? Maybe he should have been like, hey, Jesus, um, how about instead of going to my house, we can all just go kick a Chick-fil-A. It'll be great. We'll hang out there. You don't need to see my embarrassing lifestyle. Do you think Zacchaeus had any idea? that Jesus was going to invite himself over that day. No, I don't. But I do know that Zacchaeus went to that parade route that day seeking Jesus. Now, I doubt he knew what he was looking for, but he sure knew when he found it. The people, what did the people do? Well, we did what the people always do. They started complaining. 
That's just what people do are really good. I can't believe Jesus is going to that man's house. Doesn't he know who he is? Doesn't he know what he was done? Yes and yes. And Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and loved him. Just like he looks at each one of us today. He looks at you and he looks at me in our hiding place, whether it's up in a tree or wherever it is we choose to hide. And like, like Zacchaeus, you, unbeknownst to you maybe, have come to see Jesus today. Whether you're sitting here in this room, you're watching online, you're watching a decade from now on some recording on YouTube. You came to see Jesus today. You might not have known what to do, how to respond, what to expect, but you must know that he loves you and he wants to come over and hang out with you. He wants to come into your life. Will you let him? Now it says Zacchaeus immediately received Jesus. Zacchaeus received the kingdom of God just like a child would, no hesitation whatsoever. And it is clear by Jesus' words that salvation came into that home that day. Zacchaeus repented of his sins and immediately gave half of his possessions to the poor. You know, there's no record. Jesus doesn't ask him to do that. Last week's story, he asked the rich young ruler to sell everything. This week, there's no ask of anything. Zacchaeus' heart was already in the right place. This was Zacchaeus' response to the forgiveness that Jesus offered him. And then he goes a step further, and he pays back anyone who he's cheated four times the amount that was taken. Now, if you've ever wondered why, that wasn't a random thing. That was actually Jewish law. The law of Moses required anyone that had stolen sheep from someone to repay them four times the amount that they had stolen. And Zacchaeus was honoring that Old Testament law. Please notice Jesus accepted both gifts of submission. That's literally what he's doing, submitting who he is and everything he has to his newfound Savior, his authority, his Lord, Jesus those people that ask about giving in the New Testament. Here's a yet another model of Jesus' acceptance of giving. Okay? He still reaffirms the tithe, 10% of what God gives us in this world, what we earn at our jobs. He asked the rich young ruler for everything, so obviously that would be acceptable. And here Zacchaeus says, here's, here's half of everything I own. So you want your three models of, of giving in the New Testament? There they are in black and white. Zacchaeus willingly made these offerings. He was convicted by the Spirit of God, likely through something that Jesus was teaching or telling him around that dinner table. And he acted on it immediately. He didn't take time. He didn't go talk to his investment advisor. He didn't talk it over with anyone else. He was moved by the Spirit to respond. Zacchaeus was lost. And Jesus confirms his restoration. Zacchaeus needed salvation, and Jesus says, today... Salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Now, I want to add this one last part because it plays so well with last week. And so if you weren't able to hear last week, that's okay. You can go back and listen, but I think you'll understand it. Last week in chapter 18, we looked at the disciples who sat around as the rich young ruler walked away sad. And Jesus tells them how impossible it is for a rich man to enter heaven. And Jesus assured them, that was impossible with man, that rich man could not enter heaven on his own, is what Jesus was saying, is very possible with God. Just one chapter later, likely a day or maybe two days later, after that event taking place, what do we find? A rich man entering heaven. Do you think the disciples remembered that lesson from just a couple days ago? Do you think they watched in awe as that camel went right through the eye of the needle right before their very eyes? 
because the impossible just happened. Do you think they got it? (laughs) I sure hope they did, and I hope we do as well. Because verse 10 sums it all up, the entire mission statement, the purpose of Jesus' ministry on this earth for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Don't ever forget, who did Jesus come for? The lost. Who's he seeking today? The lost. That hasn't changed. So if you're not a believer yet in Jesus or a follower of his, if you have not accepted the forgiveness he offers, the grace he extends, the hope he provides, the new life that he longs to bring to you, he is seeking you today. And you might say, yeah, I don't really feel like I'm lost. I'm a good person. Okay, okay. Sometimes we don't realize when we're lost. And in the world today, there are many people that fit that description. But every single one of them, if they're genuine and honest, they will admit there's something missing. Something's not quite right in their life. And I know the answer. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you know the answer too. You know the only thing that will fill that void, and you and I know the only name by which man can be saved, and his name is Jesus. We got to take them to Jesus. We have to show them to Jesus. We have to love them like Jesus. We have to seek them out so that he can save the lost. So who are you seeking today? And I want you to be specific. Who has God planted in your life that would fit into that category right now? Who are you seeking today? Send them a text. Send it now. I don't care. Send them a Facebook message. That's a little more. Record a TikTok video. That would be really awkward. Send them something immediately to let them know that you're thinking about them, praying about them. Reach out to them today. Offer them something that they have not been able to find on their own. And can I just tell you how excited I am, we are, to meet them? one day soon? How excited I am to see them sitting beside you in one of these chairs. How excited I am one day to see you standing in the aisle so that they can have your seat because you invited them in to this place to worship with you. Yes, God could be calling you to do that. And it wouldn't take many people for us to be standing and worshiping. And that would be okay. That would be okay. We stand for a lot worse things, don't we? The second teaching of today is a parable. So we go from a real life action, actual person event to now a parable, a story that Jesus tells because of a very specific reason. Now, the, the, the people in this story the, need this story, okay? But don't confuse it with a story you might have heard. There's a much more famous incident called the, the parable of the talents. Sounds very similar to this story. There's some similarities, yes, but... The story is told at a different time, in a different place, to a different group of people, and for completely different reasons, meaning it's not the same parable. So those people that try to tell you it is, it's not, all right? This is a different one. Here's what's really cool. Before Jesus even starts the parable, Luke tells us why Jesus told this. Why was this necessary? Verse 11 of chapter 19. While they, the crowd, were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, this group of people had been following Jesus, many of them for a while. They've heard his teachings on the coming kingdom of God. And people, as any Jew would know, that could only happen, the kingdom of God could only come in Jerusalem. So, of course, the kingdom of God will be appearing when we get there. Right, Jesus? 
That's going to happen right now, right, Jesus? I mean, that's why we're going to Jerusalem, isn't it, Jesus? So Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he's telling them, well, I'm going to tell you a story because I got to correct your thinking a little bit. But here's what's cool about this story. This story is based on a real life event, a real life person. So the people listening would have instantly been grabbed a hold of by this story. Jesus, the master storyteller, weaved in real life events. So the people would be like, oh, wait, oh, wait, that's not who he's, oh, that's not who he's talking about, though. They would have figured it out. So what I want to do is I want to share with you the real life story, the background. So that when you hear the parable, you can hear it through the same ears, give or take, as those people would have in ancient Jericho. So here we go. The Roman Empire, which Jerusalem and all of its surroundings, Israel would have been a part of, was very unique. One of the reasons it was such a successful world power was because of the way they operated all their local governments. They would go in and conquer areas, but then they would rule these diverse people in very different ways. They had a habit of establishing a local king or local ruler provided by the local people who ruled the area. Now, Rome was still in charge. You still had to answer to Rome. They, they still were, you know, definitely Rome. But... They knew that the people that were local would have known the locals better, and maybe they would have been a little more respected than the Roman government authority. So it was a pretty good strategy in the end. The process, though, went like this. In order to become king of your region, you had to travel to Rome. You had to meet with Caesar. You had to be approved by the Roman Senate before you could actually be in, in placed as king of, or ruler of, of that area. Once approved, you would be king, and you would go back and do your thing. Now, this was how King Herod the great King Herod, he gave that name to himself, shockingly. Okay, King Herod the Great did that exact thing. He went to Rome. He got approved by, uh, as king of Judea by Caesar and the Senate and then came back to rule. This King Herod the Great was the King Herod the Great that was in charge when Jesus was born. He's the one who famously murdered all of the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. Fast forward just a little bit. Shortly after Jesus' birth, King Herod died. No one was too unhappy about that until his sons began to rule. They were the new kings or rulers over the territories, and they were no better. In fact, in some cases, they were worse. Each of these sons took immediate possession of their part of the kingdom, their third, if you will. The son that was given Jericho, so the people that Jesus is talking to, his name was Archelaus. He actually built a palace in the town. He brought some aqueducts, so his name was still pretty famous in that community. He was no longer ruling when Jesus gave this story, but his name would have been known to the people. Here was the problem. Um, with Archelaus, whenever he became king, he immediately wanted to establish his authority over the people. A popular way of doing that was something called fear. And so on the first Passover, uh, after he took over king, he killed 3,000 Jews. That didn't make him many friends. Okay? The people hated him a lot. Politics back then wasn't exactly a popularity contest as it is today. Everyone hated him for good cause. And unfortunately, for Archelaus, though, um, becoming king wasn't as easy as daddy just, you know, handing it over to you. He still had to travel to Rome to get the blessing of the Roman government. In this case, he went. He went to Rome. But when he went to Rome, a whole bunch of people from his region sent a group alongside him to Rome to protest to beg Rome not to allow Archelaus to become king. They did not want this man to rule over them. 
Now, their efforts failed. Unfortunately, he still became king, but Rome wouldn't give him the title. That was kind of Rome's way of acknowledging the people. Okay, he'll rule, but we won't call him king. Whatever. All of this would have been known to the people listening to this story, and now it's known to you as well. Listen, verse 12. He, Jesus, said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Sound familiar? But this nobleman called 10 of his servants together and gave them 10 minas. A mina was worth about three months wages. Put this money to work, he said. He gave him instructions. Put this money to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him. They sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Sound familiar? He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first came to say, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy with a very small matter. Here, take charge of 10 cities. A second came in and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, um, Here's, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a, a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Then why didn't you put my money on deposit? So that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10. But but, but sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken from them. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. That opening sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> the people would have went, is he talking about? Oh, wait, no. Is he talking about? No, he's not. But he grabbed them. He grabbed their attention immediately, as any good storyteller will. You see how they would have been drawn into the drama, even, of the story. Even their emotions would have been risen up as soon as they thought about King Archelaus going away to receive his kingdom. Now, of course, here we're not talking about Archelaus. We're talking about Jesus going to his father to come and ultimately rule over all of heaven and earth. The parable that Jesus is telling here is clearly all about him. While the nobleman's gone, he gives the servants a certain amount of money, and he expects them to do his business. He instructs them to do his business while he's gone and earned a respectable profit with their efforts. And that's how they can demonstrate their love, their respect, their concern, prove their trustworthiness as servants to the great king, when he comes back, he'll evaluate everyone, what everyone has done. However, when he goes to receive the kingdom, the citizens of his country, they, they want him to be their king. So they protest. Verse 14 says they hate him. They don't want him to reign over them. So they send that delegation on ahead of him. They send the delegation, they plead, but he becomes king anyway. So now that we know the story, I need to tell you there are three groups of people in this story. There are those that did what they were supposed to do while he was gone. There are those that didn't do what he was supposed to do while he was gone. And then there are those that just simply hate him. <laughs> those that did not do what they were, or those that did what they were supposed to, well, those people were rewarded. Those that didn't do what they were supposed to, well, they were rejected. 
And then, of course, those who hated him were destroyed in the end. John MacArthur interprets it this way. What's compelling about this story is that you're in it. Did you know that? Did you hear yourself in that story somewhere? All of us are in there. We're one of the three people. There's only three possibilities. You're either a true servant of the nobleman. You're a false servant of the nobleman. Or you are his enemy. There are no other categories. It's one of those amazing illustrations that Jesus invents that's completely comprehensive and embraces all of humanity. All of us fit into one of these three categories. Either we belong to God and we are serving him well, or we're pretending to serve him well when it's convenient for us, or we outright deny his existence, maybe even hate him, and we live in rebellion to his teachings as his enemy. So here we go. Let's dive into the story here to finish up. The people think Jesus is headed to Jerusalem for the kingdom of God to come right at once. Jesus is correcting their thinking. No, no, that's not what's going to happen. First, 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 I'm here to seek and save the lost. My first trip is not to establish my kingdom. That's going to happen later. There's a delay. Even after his resurrection, the disciples thought today was the moment. Now is the time for his kingdom to come. Nope, not yet. He has gone away. He is the nobleman. He's gone away to the king of kings, literally God himself on the throne to be established permanently as King Jesus. And he will come and he will return and he will reign in power and glory and he'll fix everything that we humans have messed up. Jesus will also rule over everyone and everything. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone will be accountable to Jesus. Until then, we wait. His disciples, us, we are to be doing his business. We should not be sitting around waiting for his return as so many Christians do. The story of this nobleman, he gives a one mina to each servant. Now, they all receive the exact same amount, three months wages. It's interesting, isn't it? All of the servants, all of his disciples do we all receive the th same thing when we come to Christ? Yeah. What we do with it, that's up to us. Now, we don't all receive the same gifts or skills or talents. That's not what I'm saying. But we all receive the same thing from our king. And the first one comes in, or then he brings in these ten servants. Ten servants. Giving them this free gift. And now it's time to pay up. To settle accounts, if you will, with the king. Now, what's funny is Luke only records um, the three of these servants. I don't know about the other seven. Don't ask. They're not here. They don't mention them. These three represent two groups of the three people in this story. All right? The only people that we need to focus on. The first turned one into ten. An amazing return on his vestment. This guy was obviously committed to the assignment. This was important to him. He wanted to excel. He wanted to use whatever his gifts were to the best of his ability. Remember, did the master say, here's the mina. Um, I'm going to give you a reward when I come back. No. He said, here's this, do my business. I'm out. The end. He didn't promise anything. So this servant wasn't trying to earn anything from God. Yet look what happens. He earns 10 minas and the king comes back and says, oh, wow, here's 10 cities to be in charge of. That is generous. What a generous king. That servant was faithful with so little and yet he received so much. 
The first servant was completely faithful to his master. The second, like the first, earned a great return, turning that one into five. Please, please, please don't get caught up in the difference in amounts. Some people say, well, clearly this person was a better. Nah, the king didn't seem to care about that, did he? Not in the least. He was so excited, so impressed that the servant worked so hard to return, to get such a great return. Here's five cities to be in charge of. Once again, he was faithful with a little and received this great award reward for his faithfulness. Remember, three types of people in this parable. The first two represent the faithful servants, those faithful to God, real, true believers, devoted to their master, honored their master, loved their master. They were honored to serve him. It was a privilege. They gave him credit. Here's your Mina's back. Not mine, not what I earned. Here's yours back. They gave him credit for everything that happened. They know that the king is the one that set up the environment, ordered them to be successful with this one little Mina. They showed a commitment to do what was right, and they all received a well-done, good, and faithful servant. A reward incredible. You see, in the future, when Jesus returns or he calls you home, whichever happens first, it's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. We can dream all we want but we'll never truly be able to grasp what's being prepared for those that are his true servants. Now, the third servant, well, he took that one mina and he did absolutely nothing with it. Nothing, not even the littlest, slightest thing. He represents the false servant. Those that claim to know Jesus, but their lives reveal a very different story. The man's called before the king. He has a great line of defense. He says, king, 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 here's the thing. I was totally scared of you. I was afraid of what you would do to me if I lost this or something went wrong. I know, he says, I know you're a hard man. And then he accuses the king of being a liar and a cheater. Huh. Saying he'd take what's not rightfully his. Now, the problem is his argument doesn't hold much water. <laughs> um, first, he, if he was really afraid of the king, he definitely would have invested it in something because even the little bit of interest, you ever seen your savings account at the bank? <laughs> yeah, think that. Okay, even that amount of interest what, um, I'm just telling the truth. Um, even that amount of interest would have been okay on some level for the king. The master would gain something, even if it was just a tiny little bit. Plus, the king had already painted a very different picture, hadn't he, with the first two servants? Incredibly generous, unexpected rewards for those first two servants. So what was this guy's problem? What was his deal? I thought of it this way. I'm a former teacher and, and, and coach as well. You know that teacher that everyone loved? That coach that everyone loved except for that one kid. That one kid for some reason had a problem with that teacher and that coach. And the reality was simply this, you know, they thought that teacher was the most unfair. They always picked on them. You, the list goes on and on and on. In reality, that student was just really lazy, didn't do anything in class. So they didn't do well. They didn't know the plays on the team. They didn't work hard in practice. But of course, it was always the coach or the teacher's fault right? You know, none of you were that kid, I hope, right? But anyway, right, you, you know what I'm, I'm talking about. The servant did nothing at all with that mina. I heard it illustrated this way. Suppose those three servants were sitting in the lobby outside waiting to meet with the king, and the first one steps in and goes, hey guys, uh, what, what, what everybody, you know, earn? Oh, well, man, I, I got 10. I got earned, you won't even believe it, but with the skills and what God's given me, I, I earned 10 more minas for the king. And everybody's like, whoa, that's crazy. Second guy goes, well, you know, I didn't do quite do that well, but I, I made five back. I, I thought that was pretty good. Hey, could you let me go to the king first? <laughs> I'll share my story. He'll be like, whoa, five, that's awesome. And then you can come in and, you know, impress him with yours. 
Now, the third guy should have been sitting there listening to him like, I'm out, walked out the back door, just, you know, snuck away. But we guys, we're competitive, right? Well, I got to figure out a way to, to justify what I did. And so um, he gets up and he's like, hey, guys, here's, here's I, I was awesome. I did absolutely nothing with it. Matter of fact, I kept it all polished up in my little handkerchief, kept it safe and sound, although that really wouldn't have been very safe and sound. I kept it all just, not, it's, God, the king is going to be so impressed with his mina. It's going to look so much better than yours, which you invested out in this dirty, filthy, awful world that we have. Mine is going to be better. I didn't put it to work. I never even touched it the whole time he was gone. He's the false servant. He wasn't loyal to his master. He did not do what was expected of him. As a matter of fact, he blamed the king for why he didn't do what he should have done. Some of us parents have gotten that from our kids, haven't they? <laughs> they blamed us for them not getting what we told them to do done. I'm sure it's happened to you. If you're a mom or dad, I know it has. He didn't love his master. He didn't respect his master. He seems to have no relationship with his master. He doesn't even know the heart of his master. Instead, he assumes a possible outcome. No true follower, no true believer would behave like this toward God. If we truly believe that he came to this earth and he gave his life for ours, then we will show him our love in return. We will show him our love for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do in our lives. So it says the king judges the man. The, the story changes tones to a very dark tone, honestly, as it ends. He uses the, own, the, 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 the man's own words against him. The king says that you are not one of my faithful servants. You see, God knows if we are one of his true children. If you really knew me, you would have known my desires for you. This wicked servant was indifferent. He did not care. He took the easiest possible way out. He did nothing. He had no relationship with this king. And unfortunately, the reality of today is this. Many churches are filled with these types of false followers of Jesus. Oh, yes, we claim the title of Christian. We'll even claim salvation in the name of Jesus. But since his saving grace has been offered to us, we've done nothing with the spiritual opportunities and the privileges that are now available to each and every one of us. We have no desire to honor him, to respect him, to trust him, or to be counted in his eyes as trustworthy as his servants. They deal with him with just indifference, they might show up at church when it's convenient, but they're only superficially associated with Jesus so that they think they can gain access to whatever it is they're after. I sure pray that we're not in that group. I pray that none of us are looking at our Bible, which is so pretty and neat in the box, never been used like that Mina. With our lives, this gift of eternal life that God has given us, the forgiveness of sins that God has given us, yet we've never offered forgiveness to those that have wronged us. And on and on the list goes. Have you honored him with all that he has given you? Because as we talked about earlier, if you are honoring him with what he is giving you, he will use you to seek and save the lost. And you will return tenfold, a hundredfold what God gave in saving your life. Now, there was a third group. We won't spend a lot of time on them, but that group is very, very real today just as they were in the time of Jesus. In Jesus' story, it was also prophetic into the events that were about to happen. This was the group that opposed the king, his foes. In Jesus' time, they actually tried to keep him from becoming the Messiah. This group, it appeared, won. They had him executed. But that wasn't the end. 
of course. He overcame their best and final attempt at keeping him from his rightful place. They were forever defeated. Today, that group still exists. What are they doing today? Well, they're lying about Jesus. Let's start with that. They lie about us, his followers. They invent new ideas, and they make sure that Jesus is as far away from these ideas as possible. And they choose to live a life that is in complete rebellion to everything that Jesus taught. They ignore the plans that God has for them. They call evil good and good evil. Is that ever been more prevalent than it is in our society today? And the Bible told us very specifically that these people would do this in these last days. And there's a fate that awaits those that oppose God. And Jesus reveals that fate in this parable. If anyone had any doubt, they will be destroyed. But the good news is they don't have to be. That's not our place to condemn anyone. They could choose to turn to God. They could leave their evil ways behind them. Many of these people live these lives in opposition to Jesus on purpose. They know what they're doing. But there are many, many others who might not. They don't know God, kind of like the third servant. They might have a distant, skewed perspective of God because of everything the world has taught them but they don't know the true God. They don't know the heart of God. They don't know what God did for us in sending his son, Jesus. And so guess what? That's Armina. We know. We've got to share that with them. He has entrusted it with you. If you are here today, you have now been entrusted with that knowledge. Even if you didn't know it prior to this moment, you now have it. What will you do with it? Are you going to tuck it away in a nice safe place and Take it to Jesus in heaven one day. Say, hey, look, here's what you gave me. I never did a thing with it, but here's what it looks like now. Or are you sharing it with anyone who will listen, multiplying that gift time and time again? There is a great reward for his faithful servants. Would you join us here in being one as we move forward into this future that he is preparing for us? together. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, in this world, it's so easy to feel alone, like you're by yourself, like you're trying to just do this thing on earth all by yourself. And there may or may not be even any meaning to your life. You feel that way. I'm telling you, as a part of the family of God, everything you do could be based on building and growing this kingdom, a kingdom that will never, ever end. You are investing in eternity <laughs> eternity, nothing on this earth matters in the end except Jesus and those of us that he created, which is who? Who did Jesus create again? Everyone. That's right. The lost. He came to seek and save the lost, and that now is our mission. Father God, this mission is not easy that you've called us to. <laughs> and I pray Maybe someone today is that Zacchaeus. They know their life is not in the right place. They know they're not in a right standing with you. They're on the outside looking in. And Father, you brought them to this place this day to look down from that tree and just get a glimpse of Jesus. And they didn't know that today was going to be the day that you, in turn, through your spirit, grabbed a hold of them and said, hey, you're ready. Let's do this. Come to me. So if there's anyone today like Zacchaeus that did not 
have Jesus prior to this moment, I pray that today this moment is the day that they accept you as their Lord and Savior. They welcome you gladly into their life. Father, turning over, repenting of their sin, their shame, and beginning a brand new life with you. May they come forward today and let's begin that journey together. Father, for those in the room that that are, are those good and faithful servants, Father, you know they're here. You have such an intimate relationship with those people, and you today look on them and you smile and you say, hey, but I'm not done yet. You're still there. I got more for you to do. Keep going. Well done. Don't stop. Don't let this world defeat you. Don't let it beat you up. Fight hard for me, for my burden. And it's easy. But Father, we know there's people in the room that claim your name, but just really aren't a part of things. Lots of reasons. We call those excuses in our world today. Lots of barriers that we've placed like we've talked about in weeks gone by between you and us. And today is the day to ask for that Mina back and say, God, I, I realize I've had this for a long time and I... I've not been faithful to you. I've not responded in the way that you need me to. I've not invested the way you need me to invest in the lives of others. I've not reached out. I've not served. I've not given the way that you've called me to, and I want to repent of that today. Father, I know you'll take me back. Oh, he absolutely takes us back. And you will guide me. You will direct me and lead me in the way we should go. Father, if there are people here today that find themselves in that part of life, in that kind of relationship with you, don't let them be a false servant who is sent away as a wicked servant. No, no, no. Let them come to the foot of the cross and repent of their sin of falling short. For we know you will give us forgiveness. And you will continue to pour into and invest in our lives as we then in turn invest in the building of your kingdom. Father, we love you.